The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Between the Hashes, Thursday edition. Uh, If you missed the Tuesday one, me and Ali, we talked over some transfer guys. We talked over some of the draft news that's going on, and we're going to get even further into it today. Uh, But guys, Christmas, two days away. Tony, Cam, I got to put you on the spot. Uh, Have you finished your Christmas shopping? Yeah, I'll start with Tony. I I have actually yeah I mean uh, online shopping makes it a lot easier and uh, if you don't know what to do you either don't care or you're you're really dumb (laughs) but yeah little help for my daughter to get my uh, my wife's uh, present Uh, basically said what should we get mom but yes I am I am thank thankfully that's good that's good I know sometimes you got to phone a friend sometimes you just got to do it but hey I mean that's that's Good. You don't want to rely on yourself and then wait till the last minute and then, well, now I've kind of dug a hole. Cam, I'm assuming you have finished it as well. We we have finished it all, and we are okay. extremely excited to rest now. Actually, well, we have two kids at three or under, so there's really no rest to be had. Yeah. Uh, but as much as we can, we don't have to do any last minute stuff. Done with the wife. Done with the kids. Just waiting on Santa Claus now. Glad to hear that, man. Glad to hear that. I mean, and and now for me, this is embarrassing for me to admit, I haven't quite finished yet. I still got one or two things I need to go run out and get. I'm going to do that after this. But, you know, college football, NFL draft comes first. So, you know, I'm sorry. This is prioritizing. I'm sorry, Christmas. You're going to have to wait a little bit. But uh, college teams, they do their own kind of Christmas shopping this time of year as well. Uh, Look at the transfer portal. A lot of guys have been moving around already. Guys who are trying to find a change of scenery, trying to get you know a, a more stock next year, and particularly the quarterback position, we've seen a lot of movement so far. So it, it feels right to start there, and that's kind of what we got on tap for today. So first off, Tony, I know there's been a lot of movement on the transfer market. Uh, some of the bigger names so far this week, though, Bo Nix going to Oregon, Keaton Slovis going to Pitt, Dylan Gabriel to UCLA. We'll start with Nix. Uh, me and Ali, we kind of talked about him on the pod on Tuesday and some of the mechanical stuff that he needs to go through and needs to improve at Oregon if he wants to improve his stock. Uh, what do you think about this union? Obviously joining Dellinger again, who was his offensive coordinator back at Auburn in his freshman year. Uh, do you like this fit for him and what does he need to, to do to improve his stock in 2022? You know, first thing is uh, this year is unlike any year past with all the movement. I mean, it's been insane this year. As far as Bo Nix is concerned, I, I can tell you I was shocked. I was shocked that he left Auburn, the whole legacy thing there. The way they stood behind this guy early on when he, he was just a terrible passer. I mean, he was absolutely awful. Made some strides this year, and then he bolts on him. Caught me by surprise. Uh, is it a good thing? You know, we'll have to wait and see. You know, he follows his uh, coordinator, but all of a sudden the coordinator is elevated. doesn't mean he's going to have the same one-on-one hand-holding type of uh, coaching. Uh, he seemed headed in the right direction. I don't think that a change of scenery was necessary for him. Uh, I'm very surprised by this move. Yeah, Cam, I know you're Bo Nix's number one fan. What do you have to say about <laughs> this one? That's putting it bluntly, yes. Uh, <laughs> comparing apples to apples, I mean, it's a downgrade, in my opinion, at this point of their careers. Anthony Brown took care of the football for the most part. There was a couple of minor lapses, but he didn't do a whole lot for that offense. Bo Nix... The level of unsustainable of unsustainability he has in his game sort of does not pit well to this Oregon team who will rely on their defense yet again in 2022. And Nick's sort of some of these Hail Mary throws, Hail Mary plays, not throws, so to speak, but just Hail Mary plays he makes. It's just not going to roll. I mean, you need to be cold and calculated. I know it's a new regime and a new process that they're going to have on the new coach, the entire coaching staff. But, I mean, at this point, it's it's almost a downgrade from Anthony Brown to Bonex. 
Yeah, and you know, you hit the nail on the head with one word on sustainability. That that's kind of the whole rundown of his game. You know, and I, when I did his profile, I was a big fan of the upside. You know, quote uh, upside end quote because you know there's a lot of caveats that comes with that word. Like he's very athletic. He has a good arm. And when he does stay in structure and keeps his lower body sound, like he can make some really good plays. It's just a matter of, you know, he's so volatile from play to play. And we saw a little bit of improvement early on last year. It seemed like he kind of petered out down the stretch. And, you know, I'm hoping that maybe Oregon, they got some guys coming back on the offensive line. Maybe that can help him get some more protection in there. But uh, right now, it's hard to bank on him taking that leap next year. But he's a guy I'm going to keep my eye on because the upside is there. You look at the physical talent, it's all there. Can he improve his mechanics and, and keep that consistency, sustain that? So that'll be interesting. Kind of a not necessarily an opposite guy, but certainly a different style. Keaton Slovis going to Pitt uh, from USC. Now, this was a guy, his freshman year was one of the most prolific freshman years we've seen from a quarterback at USC. Uh, was very efficient as a passer and has really kind of taken a downturn over the past two seasons. This past year was benched for Jackson Dart. And then there was a lot of turmoil in, in the lead up after that. So Keaton Slovis, though, going to Pitt now. And that's an interesting – I really like the destination, you know, and I like it even more. I, I We were talking about it, me and Ali, we were talking about Notre Dame versus Pitt. And now that Pitt has confirmed that their entire offensive line is coming back, it's definitely a lot sweeter. Uh, Carter Warren was a guy that I liked as a potential day two guy on my board personally. I just know that getting all those guys back, getting that protection unit back at full strength and having Jordan Addison, Jared Wayne, Gavin Bartholomew – Tony, for to me, that's not a bad destination at all for Keaton Slovis. How are you feeling about that? I would feel a lot better of it with, about it if Mark Whipple was still there, the guy who yeah. basically helped turn uh, or, or helped at least elevate Kenny Pickett yeah. to another level this year. Whipple's gone. I think that is a it's going to be a, a kind of a blow to any quarterback development for uh, for Slovis. The fact is this: is Slovis came in like a lot of past USC quarterbacks with high hopes, didn't play well. Everybody thought coming into the year, top 60 guy. You talk to scouts now, they're saying when you look at his physical build, you look at his arm, he's a day three pick who is maybe a backup at the next level. Ironically, they were saying the same things about Kenny Pickett a year ago. That's why I say I would feel much better about this move uh, if Mar if Whipple was there. The fact is, Slovis couldn't stay at USC. He, if he was, he was going to be riding the bench all, all next year. So he had to move. To a different school, you know. I hope it works out for him. You talked about the offensive line; he's still got some. He's got some receivers move, uh, coming back as well that should help him. Uh, but he's really got to elevate his game quickly. Yeah, and you know, I know people have made the parallel to Kenny Pickett. Me personally, looking at them side to side, I thought Pickett had a little more athleticism and untapped arm talent to kind of develop off. So I'm not quite as high. I mean, I can see it both in the sense that both Slovis and Pickett kind of had injuries in past seasons that kind of diluted their development. So, but I'm going to be watching Cam. How are you feeling about this match? I just love that they, he's got Jordan Addison to yeah. maybe potentially bail him out. He had Drake London bail him out when he, when the going got tough and then he just sort of relied on that too heavily. So as long as he finds all the receivers and doesn't just lock onto Addison, I think, you know, it's a good fit and we can see what he actually truly is as a quarterback. Yeah, and they have a lot of talent there beyond Addison. He's certainly the premier guy, but there's it's not just him. It's a very well well stocked offense if he wants to use all his weapons. The third quarterback on our list, Dylan Gabriel, UCLA, uh, was a very prolific passer at UCF. Tony, how are you feeling about this matchup with Chip Kelly? I mean, it's a good fit for the system. RPO type quarterback, a guy who can make plays with his arm or, or his leg. So it's, you know, a round peg into a round hole. I don't know uh, how it's going to uh, help you know, help him for his next level uh, potential, though. 
Yeah. Cam? I, I just love Dylan Gabriel's arm. I think it's he has the best arm to the deep range of the field outside the numbers. It's a very specific range, but if you watch it, that's where he's – I mean, that was where – every pass was almost perfect when he's healthy and has a bunch of time. So it allows Chip Kelly to spread the field out. What's he famous for? Spreading the field out, making the RPO, the mesh point a little bit easier to read. Uh, and so to me, I like it. It's going to allow them to go, you know, spread the field like Chip wants to do, and maybe we'll get to see a bunch more Dylan Gabriel uh, – throw us the outside numbers in the deep range of the field. Well, yeah, it's, they're not, it's if they're not on Pac-12 network, we'll be able to see them, of course. Exactly. And, you know, I, there's going to be more of an incentive to tune into Pac-12 network <laughs> after this cycle, I feel like. I mean, you got Dylan Gabriel UCLA. You got Utah and Cameron Rising. They're not going away next year. They're probably still going to be a favorite for the conference. And then next to Oregon, it's at least intriguing. And he does have that physical upside. So we'll see. But a, a lot of, And then obviously Lincoln Riley at UC, USC. I mean, that goes without saying. But it's a lot to look forward to. For the Pac-12, we got a few more names too. Those were the headliners, but a few more names at QB to watch. Adrian Martinez going to Kansas State after spending what felt like seven years at Nebraska. <laughs> I swear, but I, yeah, I, I, exactly. But this was a guy again, you know, had the athleticism, and he's definitely relied upon that sometimes to a fault in his career. Me personally, I, I didn't see nearly enough development that I wanted to in 2021. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, indifferent on his 2022. Like, I, I don't, it, for me, it seems unlikely that he takes the leap that he needs to to be a legitimate NFL draft prospect. But, Tony, how are you feeling about his Kansas State, the the, the kind of the, the match there? Yeah, this is going to be sound mean, but, uh, you know, I think it's addition by subtraction for Nebraska. I mean, it, you know, it was week after week, year after year of, underperforming and not being able to come up with the big play and, you know, announcers on TV trying to you know, bolster up Adrian Martinez. I wish him the best. I hope he succeeds. But, you know, I mean, if I'm Scott Frost, I'm saying now he's KSU's problem. I don't got to deal with it anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you always want to want them to succeed, right? But looking at Martinez, it's almost like discount Bo Nix, which is, that's kind of harsh, right? I mean, like, just the consistency from snap to snap is not quite there. And then with, with Nix, at least, he's very inconsistent, but at least he has that arm. Uh, Martinez's arm is not quite as at a high level. And then on top of that, he's just very inconsistent in structure, as we've seen. It hasn't developed. Cam, how are you feeling about this match? I mean, KSU got away with Skylar Thompson as a rushing threat at quarterback. So at this point, that's an upgrade for them there. That They're not going to be able to throw the ball as much as they wanted to. If you look at Malik Knowles, sort of was an afterthought of that offense, and that's a guy who should have been a, a focal point for a team in Kansas State. So they didn't have it with Thompson. They're not going to get it with Martinez. I'm just more interested to see if somehow he lands on the preseason Heisman list again because for the past three years, he's been on that preseason Heisman favorites list for some reason, and it just never has panned out for reasons yeah. we all know. It feels like those high-level running plays, they just kind of, you know, people kind of fix it on that. They get tunnel vision, and they're like, okay, this guy's got something. Yeah, but, you know, from Skylar Thompson, it, it kind of feels like a lateral move. You know, maybe a change of scenery helps, but you can't bank on that. You know, you got to look at what the guy offers. And for Martinez, it, it seems like it's it's lateral. But we got other names to note. I'm just going to fire them through real quick. And then, Tony, uh, you want to offer thoughts on any? Do any of these guys stand out to you in their new uh, destinations? We got Max Johnson going from LSU to Texas A&M, Siobhan Cordiero going from Hawaii to San Jose State, Lane Hatcher going to Texas State from Arkansas State, Carter Bradley going to South Alabama, Tommy DeVito to Illinois, and then J.D. Head from Louisiana Tech to North Texas. Any of those stand out to you? I know Max Johnson is kind of the big one just by SEC bias by default, but any other ones stand out to you? No, not really. I mean, uh, a couple of strange moves, but, uh, you know, I, I think the fact that you got Spencer Rattler – and Austin Schrodner now going to uh, South Carolina. That was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see if, 
if, if Beamer can resurrect the, uh, both of those careers, because obviously, as we, we've spoken about a couple of times on this podcast in the past, they did not live up to expectations. And good for those guys for, for transferring and playing another year of college football because they definitely were not ready to enter the NFL draft. Yeah, it's it's a good bout of self-scouting, you know, like obviously one have the confidence too, but you got to recognize when you still need a little bit of polishing up and, you know, good for Spencer Rattler going to a place where he has a little bit of familiarity, you know, a little bit of comfort, but also has an opportunity to kind of take the starting job right away and get that opportunity to improve his stock through playing. So that one stood out to me, you know, not just because of the opportunity aspect, but also because of the connections with Beamer and Stogner. So that was a fun one. Cam, any other transfer that can be the ones that we listed or something that's completely off the radar? Any other transfer destinations that have stood out to you so far? I, I'm waiting to see where Zach Gibson goes, the quarterback from Akron, who was 10 touchdowns, one interception. I know Akron didn't have a, a lot going for them this year, but him and Kanata Mumfield, both in the transfer portal currently, both looking for a new home. I, I, I think Zach Gibson has pretty good arm talent, like, with very interested to see where he goes if it's a favorable landing spot uh, and then the unproven talents that came in with the high recruiting profile the five stars the quint ears of the world osu to texas maddox cop though from houston to colorado an elite an elite 11 quarterback guy who i guess apparently lit, lit up the stage at the elite elite 11 now going to colorado i think he's gonna have a chance to probably play out of colorado this year so if you're looking at the pac-12 becoming uh the transfer portal quarterback destination of choice right now. Pac-12, they're, they're no stranger to starting these kids. Just makes another one that I'm, I'm excited to see him. And then Jack Miller going from OSU. So two OSU, former OSU quarterbacks going to major programs. Miller going to UF. We'll see how Billy Napier wants to utilize his talents. Yeah, kind of underscores the main theme. I mean, a lot of movement, man. And I, there was one that popped into my head, so I'll name drop him real quick. But Levi Williams, Wyoming, obviously, obviously kind of got the headlines with that 200-yard, four-touchdown performance in the bowl game. But I was joking with Ali. He, like, he legitimately, in his face, he looks kind of like Josh Allen. Like, it's, it's, there's a little bit of resemblance there. Now, obviously, we're not going to make any of those outlandish takes here. But he, he does seem to be a good athlete for his size. So going to a different place and geographically, Wyoming, Pac-12, there could be a potential match out there. So we'll see. But that's enough about the transfer. Sean portal. Chambers entering the transfer portal as well. So both Wyoming quarterbacks yeah. in the past 24 hours exited the program. That is crazy, man. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Is there something in the water? Wow. I don't know. But, you know, whatever the case, Wyoming is going to need a need a change next year. And Levi Williams in particular, you know, having that athleticism, I feel like maybe a power five team could take a, take a gamble on him. We'll see. But uh, that'll be a fun, a fun one to watch. But let's get away from the transfer portal QBs. Let's get on to the 2022 NFL Draft. We got some guys. Tony has listed some guys that need some more love, starting off with San Diego State tight end Daniel Bellinger. Tony, I know this guy uh, has had some good performances so far this year, had 31 catches for 357 yards and two touchdowns. And this is a really deep tight end class, like not a ton of super top-end talent, but you know, a, a class with a lot of viable options in the mid to late rounds. Where do you see Bellinger falling in, and you know what do we need to know about this guy? Well, it's not guys that need a lot of love. That's that's it's guys that are getting a lot of love in the scouting community yeah. that are not even mentioned uh, outside in the draft internet world, if you will. Now, Bellinger is a guy we talked about a couple times on this podcast. He is absolutely loved in the uh, in the scouting community. But if you see mock drafts on the outside that talk about him as a fifth, sixth round pick, I'm here in potential third round. Uh, no later in the fourth round for Bellinger because he's the complete package. I am not on the Bellinger train just yet. He does have excellent size. He is a terrific blocker. He's a very good short range to intermediate pass catcher. He's not a guy that's going to split the scene. 
so and, and that's a concern for me anyway, in the sense that in today's NFL, you you, you want a guy that's you know going to be in the high four sixes, low four sevens, and get down the field and, and create uh, create mismatches in the secondary. Bellinger really doesn't do it, but they're looking at him as a three down tight end. Third and short, you can put him on the field as a blocker. Third and short, you can keep keep him on the field as a pass catcher. Uh, I think his a lot of his draft stock will depend on how he tests and how he runs the combine and pro day workouts. But he is getting grades as high as the third round in the scouting community. Yeah, and he also I believe he accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl too, so he'll have a chance to kind of improve his stock there. So that'll be interesting to see. You know, guys need to have that speed to split the seam, like you said. But if he can block, if he's got good size at six six two fifty five around there, that's where he's listed right now. That'll at least get him some looks if he can kind of prove himself at the Senior Bowl. So that'll be an interesting one. Next up, a guy who's getting more love in the scouting community. I can tell you right now, he has a lot of love in this room, too. I know Cam loves him. I know I'm a big fan. But uh, Tariq Woolen, UTSA corner. What's the, what's yeah. the scoop on him? Yeah, a guy who's got next-level next, next level size. I mean, you watch yeah. the film. He's imposing. He's long. He's lanky. He's fluid. He's got great upside. And I'm getting some potential late-day-two middle-round grades on him. I'm not sold on him as a football player. Yeah, he, he's an opposing guy, but he rarely backpedals. He does more side shuffling, trying to get down the field. He's slow in his hips. He he's, uh, doesn't react uh, all that quickly to, play, to uh, opponents as they leave the, the line of scrimmage. He plays the receiver's hands rather than playing the ball in the air, and he's able to do that in the college level because he just outmuscles and, and beats down opponents. If he's drafted earlier than expected, it's because of his size and its uh, and his upside potential. But he's a long way from being NFL ready, from what I see on film. Some people may be familiar with uh, Woolen from the Feldman's Freaks list. Obviously, I mean, like you said, if it's gonna if he's gonna go on day two, it's gonna be because of the traits. I mean, obviously, I know Feldman listed him at 6'4", 205, I think, with a potentially a sub four four forty and an over forty inch vertical, and I think a over. Uh, 11 foot broad so crazy athlete but cam i know you got something to say about Tariq as well what you got yeah it's just i took it from tyrone nix their former defensive coordinator and linebackers coach last year at utsa summer workout summer camp and he looked at everybody in the eye well it was virtual covid times and it was everybody via a zoom call and he said to everybody he goes this is an nfl cornerback and he goes but it's going to take some time this is of course because he started his retro freshman year at receiver in 2018, started the majority of his sophomore year, retro sophomore year in 2019 at wide receiver until he transferred or moved to cornerback in the late stages. So he's only got two full seasons at cornerback. And so to me, if he does sneak into day two, he's, you know, he's not looked at as a guy who's going to play in his rookie year. He's not going to make the Pro Bowl his rookie year, let's face it. But this is a guy who, if you don't have a pressing need to have a starting one, two, or three cornerbacks that you're looking for in day two, which if you are, if you are, you're in a lot more trouble anyways as an NFL franchise. But He's a project that down the road, because of the size, because of a potential 4.34 laser time 40, this is a guy who's got all the traits and skills and size that you can build around. Coach him up, use him as a project, and maybe in, insert him into the lineup in favor, favorable situations. Because, uh, I mean, you can't coach size, as they always say, and you can't coach that athleticism that he's got. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he's got, I think, rumored to have 33-inch arms, which is longer than some defensive tackles. Obviously, if you're a defensive tackle with 33-inch arms, that's not you know, that's not great. But, you know, it is longer than some guys down there. And he's got that length, so he can disrupt at the pass, at the catch point. So it's a lot of upside. That's what you're banking on. But we've seen that can really magnify 
players hype and their stock when uh, April rolls around. So another guy with a senior bowl showing on deck. So we'll see if he can kind of inflate his stock there. But moving on to another name, Tony, I know you mentioned him in a previous pod. A lot of people, when they talk about the VT, the Virginia Tech offensive line, they talk about Lasita Smith, the offensive guard, Brock Hoffman, the center, but Luke Tenuta, the offensive tackle, apparently getting a lot of buzz in the scouting community. What's the latest on him? Yeah, a lot of them like him as a potential future starter. They think uh, he's a guy who is very good now, has got, got terrific upside. Coach's son, if you read my Virginia Tech write-up over the summer, I graded him at that point in time as a priority free agent, moved to the left side, really watched his game take off this year and, and really uh, ele- elevated it to NFL type of uh, material where scouts are very excited about him. Playing in the Shrine game, as I said, coach, uh, a coach's son, which makes things a lot easier. Usually they're able to absorb things a lot quicker. Tenuta's got terrific size. His game is on the upside. He's a versatile guy who can play left or right tackle. I think if he goes to Shrine game practices and he shows well in the one-on-ones and scouts come away from Shrine game practices believing that he can play left tackle in the NFL, his, his stock is going to skyrocket going to go high anyway but i think if, if scouts come away believing he can protect the weak side uh watch out uh, this guy is is all of a sudden is somebody that everyone's going to be talking about uh moving towards the draft when no one's talking about him right now yeah and obviously with the tackle class where some guys are going back there's going to be an opportunity for him to rise potentially sticking on the offensive line let's go to nebraska now cameron jurgens uh, the center another position where a lot of people are going back and could open up a window for him to move up the board what are you hearing about him yeah, a, a guy who, if you really watched him, after his redshirt freshman season, I graded him highly because he's incredibly athletic. Reminds me of the uh, center from Oklahoma who went in the second round last year who's uh, 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 playing great as, as a rookie this year. Yeah, named Creed Humphrey. There you go. Uh, reminds me of, of that sort of player, a zone-blocking type of center. Did not play too well in 2020. Struggled with the uh, center exchanges at times with, oh, by the way, a guy by the name of Adrian Martinez, who we spoke about before. Came back this year, had a real good year. You're looking at a guy, this is a pure zone-blocking lineman who can play center. I think what's going to happen is during the pre-draft process, I don't know that he's officially declared yet. I've got to look that up, although I'm told he was going to declare. During the pre-draft process, he's going to test through the roof. He's a good football player. Just got to learn to get a little bit stronger and learn to finish blocks. But if you want his own blocker who can get out on the second level, who can use the pull across the line of scrimmage, blocking motion, Jurgens uh, fits the bill. And, you know, really with what is not a very strong center class, I mean, it kind of falls off the cliff after Linderbaum of uh, Iowa, although I do like Alex Forsyth of Oregon, have not heard whether or not he's officially going to enter or not. You know, there is, and there are teams that uh, say like the New York Jets, you know, who may be looking for a center in those middle rounds, I think Jurgens, uh, it, it will be a good option. Yeah, upside is big for guys kind of rising late in the process. I, I have gotten the opportunity to watch a little bit of him recently and was very impressed. Another guy I, I got to see even earlier in the season, and it's it's easy to be impressed by him, is Oklahoma edge rusher Isaiah Thomas. Uh, Oklahoma has a ton of guys on the defensive line, but Isaiah Thomas is a particular exciting prospect. What have you been hearing about him? Because apparently he's got some hype in the scouting news. Yeah, outplayed Benito, who was my favorite this year. Outplayed Asamoah and Winfrey, uh, who were Asamoah, who went through the draft. Uh, a guy who's very athletic, can rush the edge. What do you have? Eight sacks this year, 11 and a half tackles for loss. Also broke up four passes, which tells you something about how athletic he is. Yeah. You can use him as an interior rusher on occasion. 
complain a four-man line. I think complain certain three-man lines that are used as one-gap systems, which basically means you have your linebacker almost uh, standing right over tackle. Uh, it, it was a disappointing year overall on defense for the Oklahoma Sooners, probably for the Oklahoma Sooners, period. But Thomas is someone that's getting a lot of chatter uh, in the scouting community. Could go day two. I would expect him to go day two. Uh, a guy like that who's that tall, who's that athletic and can rush the passer and has shown as much in the past. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, not just that, but, you know, for his size, obviously very athletic. He can stunt inside. He's pretty versatile. So, you know, a very exciting player. And we're going to move on real quick to uh, some other things. But real quick, you got one more player, a surprise declaration, potentially NC State wide receiver Devin Carter. We know Devin Carter and Emeka Amizi. Two big-bodied guys who made a lot of nice plays for NC State this past year. Devin Carter, though, is in this sub, uh, in this section. What are you hearing on him? That's what I'm hearing. That he, despite people telling him he should return, he's leaning heavily towards entering the draft. 31 receptions, 556 yards, average 17.9 uh, yards per catch with six TDs. Made a lot of big plays, but also dropped a lot of passes at critical moments for North Carolina State. I'm told most of their underclassmen, in fact, all their underclassmen. Receivers are going to return. He's being, you know, uh, it's being recommended to him that he, he, he should return. But I'm told that uh, Devin Carter is heavily leaning towards entering the draft. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, 6'3", listed at 6'3", over 210 pounds, so has the size that you look for, but the consistency still needed from him. So we'll see. But very interesting note about him in a deep receiver class where some guys are going back again. So the depth is always kind of fluctuating. Uh, nice question by Clinic Cap. We're gonna we're gonna come back to this later. We're gonna see if we have time at the very end of the show. But appreciate you for asking this, and uh, we'll get your thoughts if we have time. If we have time. But first off, let's go on to uh, some bowl game topics. First off, every time every time we come around this time of year, we see guys opt out. We see guys you know kind of preserve their NFL draft stock, skip the last few games. Does it hurt anyone's draft stock to do that? And did it hurt anyone specifically this year? Do do you think? Me personally, looking at it from my perspective. You know, usually when you get to bowl season, the stock is more or less set in stone for these guys. Most of the season is played out. So any really good performance, like unless you're really waiting to see that breakout game, maybe bowl season would be a good opportunity. But uh, Tony, what do you think about this? Is it usually something that has a big effect on guys or is it kind of not inconsequential? And if you're already leaning toward entering the draft, you should preserve your your health and your stock. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't affect their draft grade. I, I mean, a couple of years ago, everyone was screaming about the bowl game. I believe it was the Alamo Bowl that Hakeem Butler had, if you remember. People are talking all over, well, first round pick goes in the fourth round. And as I said, you know, he's a big receiver who couldn't separate uh, and got bounced from the Cardinals at, before, prior to his, uh, his second year in the league without even taking a snap for them. So, yeah, it doesn't, it's not going to affect. Uh, your draft stock in a positive way. It could affect your draft stock in a negative way. I mean, guys, guys who got hurt, guys like Jalen uh, Smith, the linebacker from Notre Dame who had a devastating injury in the 2016, what was it, the Fiesta Bowl, the bowl game against Ohio State. I mean, a devastating injury. I'm sorry, 2015 bowl game. He was drafted in 2016. Uh, Jake Butt, the tight end from Michigan, another guy who had day two uh, aspirations. Everyone thought second, third round. Tears his knee in that bowl game against Florida. Fifth rounder has never re really lived up to expectations. Uh, to really draft a player or grade a player heavily on one game is wrong. I remember go back, going back to 1997, 1998, when an offensive lineman by the name of Mo Collins uh, from Florida played really well against Andre Wadsworth uh, during that interstate rivalry. Everyone went gaga. 
The Raiders uh, selected him with the 23rd pick of the first round, primarily off of that game, and it turned just never lived up to expectations. So regardless of whether it's a bowl game or any regular season game, if you're drafting a guy off of one performance, you got you got to be uh, be careful. Now, getting back to your question, you know, you, you have to remember, uh, you know, people say prepare for the draft. They're getting ready for draft training. Part of draft training is healing from injuries that you suffer during the season. If a guy's got a bad hamstring, a bad quad, a bad groin, something like that, that's, you know, it could be two to three weeks before he actually starts training for the combine. A guy like Kenny Pickett, who I would have liked to see it against that Michigan State pass rush, you know, Kenny Pickett plays in a late bowl game, and then he's got to get ready because three weeks later he's going to be in the senior bowl. Gosh forbid he's got to – doesn't forget about getting injured in the bowl game, but has to rehab some injuries. That's an even longer process. And when people talk about getting ready for the combine, getting ready for the, the uh, pre-draft process, you know, mending those injuries that you suffer during the season don't have, doesn't have to be a major injury. Like I said, it could be a hamstring or something like that. That is part and parcel, and that is something that takes time. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, it's not just about like you can't just jump into preparing for drills and stuff like you. Sometimes you have an injury that's kind of tied over from the season and you need to rehab. So that makes sense. Cam, are you kind of in the same boat there? Yeah. And I feel like this question is often asked as a it's still like a knee jerk reaction to whether or not you want to see the the, the player play with their teammates. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, this is this is the best and biggest job interview of their lives. Only 256 players get called up in this draft process. And so to me, if you're not taking this serious, it's, it's it's a new wave. I know it's still new for some old school people that want to watch and say, hey, you're on a team. Go play with your brothers. Play one more game. That works and all. But yes, it's a season long worth of injuries. Sometimes it's a career long worth of injuries that you have to rehab within the span of the end of your season in November to, yes, April, the early week of February for an all star game. And then the combine. I mean, it's it's a long time to rehab these injuries. And unless you're you're playing and you're in the mind of those players, you don't really get what's going on for it. So yeah, as much as it's a, a you want to watch them play one more time and you want to see them finish the season with their brothers, they all understand. Those brothers all understand like, hey, go get yours, strike while the iron's hot and go get yours in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Continuing with our subject of bowl games, Tony, is there, you know, this part of the year, this time of year, is there any type of player that you would look forward to seeing in a bowl game and kind of keep your eyes on as the season kind of progresses? No, not really. I mean, it would have probably been nice if Carson Strong played in a quick lane uh, ball because you would have Carson Strong against Caleb Bellaby. That would have been a fun thing to watch. But, I, I mean, you know, you're watching out-of-conference matchups, the SEC against the Big Ten, things like that. So you want to see if Big Ten cornerbacks can stand up to the speed of SEC receivers, little things like that. But it's, it's nothing that, you know, unless it's a big matchup, you're going to be glued to your TV or you're going to really work to get the tape uh, after the game. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like that's kind of where the uh, college football playoff size in. Because right there, those two teams, those two matchups, that's where you're getting a lot of fun matchups, you know, offense, defense to kind of take a look at. But, you know, as you go farther down the board, those kind of trickle out. Cam, is there any type of player that you look forward to watching in this? Any diamonds in the rough that you kind of want to keep your eyes on? Uh, this time mine, mine is I'm going to take it the different way because I know a lot of these – programs are looking at it as, hey, I'm going to play my kids for next year. The guys that didn't quite get in this season because there's depth or seniors or draft prospects ahead of them. So third stringers from this year that are going to be starting next year. So I'm watching these games and I'm looking at where did this name come from? Who is this guy? I know we know most of the players, but finally seeing some of these guys in action that are going to be the next, you know, next year starters, offensive linemen, 
defensive backs that were, you know, only played 100 snaps total this year, but now they're playing 60, 70 in a bowl game. How do they react? How do their bodies react to fourth quarter action in these games? And then we're going to know who's going to play next year, but also how much we can trust these players going forward. Obviously, there's still spring camp, summer workouts, and a fall camp before we get to see them again. But this is the first time we're seeing some of these freshmen or sophomores that are going to make waves and play an integral role of their team success or non-success next season. So that's really what I'm looking for. I'm watching these players that like maybe we don't know quite about. Jordan Elliott from Missouri flashed in his sophomore season down the stretch. And then look what happened to Jordan Elliott. So players like that, I want to see what happens with these players that maybe aren't on our radar now, but they're, they'll be on the radar next year. Yeah, and that's a good point. With opt-outs, then kind of open the door for guys who are kind of the next wave to come in and show a little bit of a preview of what they got to offer in the years to come. And then from there, you can be a little bit of a step ahead in your draft preparation. Like, hey, this guy kind of flashed. Let's see what he can do in an extended role this year. So very interesting. Good point there. But one more thing about bowl games, Tony, has there ever been an occurrence? Well, there, there obviously has been. But, I mean, is it often to see guys kind of decrease their stock in a bowl game. I mean, the the, the most recent, the high-profile memory that I have is A.J. Terrell uh, getting toasted in the college football playoffs. It's not a very good example because he still went round one, and now he's kind of developed into one of the best corners in the league. But you're probably more well-versed in this than I am. Is there any player that you remember kind of tanking their stock in one game? No, no, except the, except for a major injury. Like I mentioned, uh, yeah. Jalen Smith, Notre Dame, and, and, uh, and Jake Butt, the uh, tight end from Michigan. So – uh, I mean, listen, if you remember, we go way, way back. Vinny Testaverde, I mean, uh, that final game that he played against Penn State uh, was terrible. Even the year before the bowl game he played against Tennessee, I think he had like five interceptions against Tennessee, six interceptions against Miami in that national championship game. I, it may be reversed. Regardless, he was terrible in both those bowl games. Still was the first pick of the draft. Point being that, you know, if you go back through history, you're not going to see any player that had just one bad game and he's going to knock a half around or a round or two off of his draft stock. Yeah, it just it goes back to what we've been talking about. Usually it's going to be an injury if it's anything and just, you know, borderline. It's a kind of a sample size error. Like you don't want to base it all off of one game because there's already been 12 games, at least 12. Some, some teams have played 13 before the bowl season where, you know, you have a lot of tape. You're not going to base it all on the bowl season. It's just not it's just not accurate. So I'm glad that we're all on the same page there. Speaking of bowl games, let's get on to some previews for some prospects in the uh, ensuing bowl games that have yet to play out going to Memphis versus Hawaii, obviously the biggest name there. Wide receiver Calvin Austin III, senior bowl guy. Tony, what are you looking for from him here? Well, see if he's got any speed. I mean, uh, Hawaii doesn't have uh, that much of a defense. I think the big story uh, going into this game is the, uh, the the coaching situation at Hawaii, which has been absolutely insane if you follow that at all. You know, but with Austin, you want to see some speed. You want to see uh, if he's easily able to get uh, past the defensive backs of the Hawaii uh, Warriors, Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, whatever they're called these days, which shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah, I mean, he, he has game-breaking speed. I mean, you just check him out. This could be a, a game where he kind of puts up numbers. Cam, you excited to see Calvin Austin in action? I know this guy has a lot of buzz in our in our draft department. Yeah, I am. I'm also excited to see Cortez Davis, the quarterback. This is the guy. So I stayed up one night. I'm, I'm, I won't forget it this season, watching Jay Kaner in Fresno State. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to watch every snap of this Fresno State at Hawaii game because – this has a chance. Hayner's got the chance. What does he do? He trusts his arm too much. Corey Bethley picks off, you know, a pass right before halftime. That was it. He threw three picks in the first half. Cortez Davis, I think he had like over a dozen pass breakups this season too at corners. So like there's actually some defensive back challenges here for him. It, their defense, not good overall though. 
And so maybe seeing how he's utilizing or if he understands route depth and the ability to create separation on some of these, there's there, there's talent on that secondary. But I want to watch Seth Hennigan, a big-time challenge for him, the quarterback, true freshman. I mean, he's set records for Memphis true freshman quarterbacks. He could be the future of the AAC. He's a big-arm kid, huge kid with some a little bit of mobility to him. So I want to watch Seth Hennigan play against this Hawaii defense, an unfamiliar defense, uh, and see if he can get Austin the ball in the – the ball in space yeah for sure that'll be big you know not just going going deep down the field in that deep third but also getting it to him in space in the short range so we can kind of make something out of it that'll be fun obviously the premier matchup there is the memphis offense versus the hawaii defense moving on to boston college versus ecu obviously the boston college most of their big names have moved on to next year uh phil jerkovic and zay flowers both going back i mean first off tony do you think that was the right decision for them i think for jerkovic obviously it was but uh, and then for, that's the first question. And the second, uh, there are some guys that are still there at Boston College who are worth a look and also on ECU, some guys for the future to look at maybe 2023 cycle. Uh, what are you looking at at this bowl game? But first off, uh, Jerkovic Flowers, did they make the right call? Uh, Jerkovic, I, I mean, if he enters the draft, he's a six round pick if he's not undrafted. I mean, people tend to love him. Yeah, he's got a huge arm, but you never know where the uh, ball is going to end up. Plus, he had that injury. I mean, he's a physical specimen who's not developed as an NFL quarterback or not developed as a passer, I should say. Zay Flowers, I mean, Zay Flowers is a nice receiver at Boston College. He's maybe a number five at the next level. He's a day three pick. Is going back the right thing for him? Yeah, you know, I I would say so to continue to develop his game with Jerkovic. Uh, I I don't think uh, he's going to go back and go from a day three pick into a top 60 pick, um, he is what he is. He's solid in all areas, but I don't think he's got a spectacular upside to his game. Yeah, uh, Cam, you're kind of in the same boat there. I know you might want to say some words on behalf of a resident Boston College fan, uh, Ali Hodgkins. But, uh, <laughs> For Ali, I will sing his praises. I think he's electric, but yeah, it's it's he's a wide receiver five next year unless or at the NFL level unless he showcases you know more of a full route tree, more positional versatility at wide receiver. So. I want to watch if he gets matched up with Jaquan McMillan, though, the ECU quarterback. Yeah. Uh, if, here's how bad the ECU defense was this year. McMillan led the nation in pass breakups, but he also led ECU in total tackles. So he was breaking up passes, but he was also having to save the day after runs broke loose and broke contained. So McMillan's a fun prospect. I don't know if he's declared for the draft. I know he, I think he's a third-year guy there, so he's, he's eligible. But if he doesn't, then that's a guy, obviously, to watch for the Thorpe Award next year, but also elevating his draft stock. So him against – Zay Flowers, Jaquan McMillan, I mean, 24, 23 pass breakups at one point, I think I thought I saw, if I remember correctly. The dude was just all over the field and covered. So watching yeah. Jaquan McMillan one more time this year is is never going to be a subject of doubt in my mind. I'm, I'm excited for that one. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, a lot of those undersized, productive guys in the group of five, they tend to kind of play out their careers sometimes. You usually don't see those guys declare early as much. So, you know, my gut says goes back. But, again, very productive. It'll be fun to watch him. Uh, Tony, real quick before we move on, any players that you're particularly looking forward to watching in Boston College versus the ECU? Uh, Trey Barry, the Jacksonville uh, Jacksonville State transfer tight end. He's a guy who's been a favorite of mine for the past couple of years. Not the fastest guy. Uh, he actually looks like a, a almost an NBA center on that field because he's so damn tall and skinny, but he catches the ball well. He has a lot of effort blocking. Isaiah Graham Mobley, a uh, guy who I really liked as a redshirt freshman at Temple, had two Mensa Mensa seasons where he never really elevated his game. Showed some flashes. I mean, he is an athletic, fast, violent linebacker who can make a difference. I have him graded as a six-round pick right now. 
very good chance he doesn't get drafted, but he is a good player, and you know he's shown flashes and he's shown that ability in 2021 that he displayed to me when he was a redshirt freshman at Temple. Yeah, obviously. So still some talent to watch as we were talking about when guys, even with guys opting out, you know, some guys go back and they stay and they, you know, give us one more chance to see them in live action before the offseason. So Boston College, ECU, another good one. One more good one. And then we're going to sign off. We'll, 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 we'll revisit our question. I think we'll have time. But real quick, Houston versus Auburn is another bowl game. That's going to be a fun one. Marcus Jones, a senior bowl corner and also return specialist who's been getting a lot of love. Nehemiah Pritchett, Roger McCreary, who has declared for the draft, so he won't be there. But Colby Wooden as well. I know I know you're a big fan of him. Tony, uh, what are you looking forward to watching in this bowl game? Uh, I think Auburn should handily win this game. I think Auburn's got a major advantage. I think it's going to be tough. But Marcus Jones has played well this year. I mean, he really yeah. has stepped up his game where everyone thought it was going to be Marion Williams, I believe, uh, coming in the season, who was going to be the number one uh, corner. And he's a little bit smaller guy probably a dime back at the next level, as you mentioned, special teams type player, uh, but he, he's really elevated his game. And that's what you want to see at certain positions like quarterback, like cornerback. And that's exactly what he's done. Yeah, for sure. And I remember him going up against Alec Pierce in the uh, AAC championship. Uh, you know, they, they went up and down, but there were some times Pierce is a bigger bodied receiver and Marcus Jones kind of held his own on some reps and actually disrupted at the catch point. So wasn't always out muscled by Pierce, which you'd like to see. Uh, Cam, are you looking forward to watching anyone in this game? It's Jones, and it's yeah. if he gets the chance to return a kick. I mean, they don't they don't beat SMU this year if he doesn't return the kick. One of the better endings of a game. It shades of the Warren I four UCF versus USF when Mike Hughes returned the kick to end a back and forth game. So Jones, to me, I mean, that's he's that's the kind of player he is. He was our AAC Defensive Player of the Year or Player of the Year and Flex Player of the Year. I mean, it was this is the guy. One more chance to watch him as well. Uh, Don a Houston uniform. I know Auburn is still hurt with a bunch of opt-outs, uh, and they have to figure out a new quarterback. Are they going to stick with T.J. Finley next year? So this is sort of a job interview for T.J. Finley going forward yeah. next year or if they turn to a younger kid or somebody else in that, in that quarterback room right now. So T.J. Finley and how he handles the Houston defense and Marcus Jones specifically. Yeah, absolutely. Going to be kind of uh, turning the page to the future, and it'll be a good audition for him to prove, like, hey, I can be the guy next year. And then from then, maybe leverage that into potentially developing into an NFL draft prospect. So we will see. But uh, we got one question from Clinic Cap, so we're going to revisit that, guys. And uh, this is a pretty good one because we were talking about the uh, arm length and how Woolens would be good for some defensive linemen. Tony, I'll go to you first. What's the shortest arms a defensive lineman can have before it's a red flag? Is there a cutoff where it's, it's, uh, it's a concern? Uh, defensive linemen, uh, I mean – Probably under 32. I mean, I've seen guys with 31-inch arms. The defensive lineman is, is not – it's important, but it's not a sticking point as opposed to, say, offensive lineman where you want to have the – you know, you want to have uh, the longer arms to keep your defender away. I mean, defensive lineman, it's more, it's more about quickness of your hands and the quickness off the snap and the ability to play with leverage than it is arm length. The arm length comes uh, really into play – yeah, when you're battling opponents on the offensive line or you want to bat away passes because you can't get to the quarterback. I don't think there's anything, uh, you know, any, anything under 32 inches may raise a red flag for some teams, but it's not a huge sticking point. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's different for every team. Some teams like guys, they don't really care. Like as long as you and, and some teams, I imagine it's, it, proportional length comes into the picture, too. Like if you're six one but have thirty two and a half inch arms, you know, it's not as bad as if you're six five and you have thirty two and a half inch arms. So that kind of plays into it. Cam, do you have any preferences? I know every evaluator is different. Everyone's kind of got their sweet spot. 
Do you have any preferences when it comes to the defensive line, uh, arm length? It goes prospect by prospect, obviously. Yeah. But look at like a guy like Aaron Donald, 32 and 5'8 inch arms. Yeah. So this is a guy, obviously he uses his body and leverage and strength in, in an uncanny way, but that type of guy. So there's, you can have that, and it's a prospect by prospect. Like you said, if there's a six foot six guy, like if Jalen Carter had 32 and 5'8 inch arms, I'd be a little bit worried to see how he can do it, how he does what he does. But yeah. to me, Aaron Donald, that, that's the that's the speed rush that he has as well, and that pays sort of to his, his advantage. And so to me, uh, it's probably prospect by prospect. I don't think I'd label a, a marker maybe 32. I'd side with Tony because he's been doing it longer than I have, and so I'd believe you there. But I'd, I'd rather watch the the player, so to speak, and how they use them once I got those measurements too. Yeah, yeah. You'd rather, you'd rather a lineman, defensive lineman with 32-inch arms that has incredibly quick hands which he's able to use to bat away uh, opponents' uh, attempts to block them, than some guy that's got 35-inch arms and, you know, gets his hands up late, doesn't use, does use them well to protect himself. There's more room to hold, too, if you got longer arms. So, Yeah, exactly. There's more surface area, you know, so it's kind of a strategic advantage sometimes. But, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. It's a number to take into account, it sounds like, but you got to look at the prospect beyond that and see if he accommodates for it, compensates for it. And, you know, guys with longer arms, do they use it effectively? So it's something you take into account you know, a certain threshold, but you don't write off a guy just like that because of the number. So thanks for the question, Clinic Cap. Appreciate you. Uh, I think we're going to sign it off there. We've gone through everything. So make sure you tune in next Tuesday, next Thursday. Tuesday can have more analysis and we'll have more news analysis on Thursday next week. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and be sure to check out PFN's content. We got a lot of draft content coming up. We got our underclassmen tracker where we're kind of tracking guys that have declared, guys that are going back. We got a lot of team-specific content coming out this week, so be on the lookout for that. Maybe we'll give you some corner targets for the 49ers or some quarterback targets for Washington or some receiver targets for the Titans. I know I saw Cam's up there, so make sure you tune into that, see if your team's included, and we're getting more and more up every day. So And scouting reports, too. I forgot to mention that. Scouting. Updating, adding more. We're going to add a ton more before the senior bowl so a lot on deck guys stay tuned stay here and uh, until next time peace out have a good one